0: Live from our nation's capital.
1: President Joe Biden's 1.9 trillion dollar pandemic relief package. We're not going to hear anymore about Operation Warp Speed. They're going to be calling it the COVID response. We're talking right now about 2024 jockeying amongst
0: Republicans. Bloomberg, sound on. The insiders, the influencers, the insights.
2: Biden has promised again and again that he will unite the country. Who do you think Biden has to watch in terms of moderate defectors? The
3: House has been voting for this stimulus package basically for months. This this is Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg Radio.
1: President Biden gets ready to try to hit Capitol Hill to get that $1.9 trillion stimulus deal. Did this on impeachment trial eve. We check in with Cong- with a congresswoman from Florida who finds herself now In right smack in the middle of all of these congressional debates, plus Rick Davis joins me and Emily Tesh Sussman. A lot to get through. Happy Super Bowl Monday. Congratulations to Tom Brady of the New England. Oh, I'm sorry, of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Well, he's the greatest of all time. There's really no debating it now. Um, Joining me for the panel, Rick Davis, Bloomberg contributor, partner at Stonecourt Capital, former campaign manager for John McCain's 2008 presidential campaign, and Emily Tish Sussman, a Democratic strategist, the former vice president of campaigns for the Center for American Progress, and the host of your political playlist podcast. We begin tonight uh, with the big story, which is President Joe Biden saying that it is unlikely that the U.S. will reach herd immunity before the end of the summer due to a shortfall in vaccine availability. He spoke in an interview with CBS News that aired on Sunday during the Super Bowl pregame coverage. Here he is.
3: The idea that this can be done and we can get to herd immunity much before the end of next this summer is is very difficult.
1: Meanwhile, we've also got sounds on how President Biden feels the vaccination effort is going uh, right now. Uh, And in fact, he said that he, as well as Vice President Kamala Harris, took a virtual tour of the mass vaccination site in the State Farm Stadium in Glendale, Arizona, home to the Arizona Cardinals, in which he thanked uh, volunteers working at the stadium and said that they could be the site of a mass vaccination effort. We've got sound on that. Let's listen.
3: I got a call during the Super Bowl from uh, the uh, commissioner of football and offering us the federal government, the 30 major stadiums. So I think they're going to be coming to you to look at how you did it, because you're doing such a great job.
1: So let's bring in Emily and Rick now. Emily, I mean, you hear that from President Biden. Democrats are are in many ways lowering the expectations to some extent of the mass vaccination rollout. But, you know, in in my show prep uh, before coming on air, the U.S. is actually trailing only behind the U.K. in terms of Western Hemisphere countries, in terms of uh, the percentage of citizens who have been vaccinated. So, so far, so good.
4: Well, Kevin, I hope you saw in your show prep that... (laughs) The team that beat the, the, the Patriots in the Super Bowl were the Giants twice.
1: Oh, so I gosh. that
4: was in your show, Brad. Your Here we go. Brady falling all over
1: him. Paul I know. And, I, and, you know, and I, I know I'm going to get in trouble for leading with the, with the game yesterday, but I, I was up way too late watching it. Go ahead, Emily. <laughs> well,
4: from my understanding with, uh, with the folks in the Biden administration is that there's two things that he's trying to do. One is to set an end goal so that there is an end in sight. So that, you know, all of the, the pandemic fatigue that we're feeling of trying to, you know, do our best and stay home, um, that people stick with it. If they feel like there's an end in sight, then maybe they can stick with it and not just feel like total fatigue and toss it all out. I think it's also called going up Florida. I think some have called it. Not them, more me. But the other thing that Biden is trying to do is exactly to your point, lowering this, lowering the standards so that they can under promise and over deliver. The last thing they want to be doing is setting a goal they think they can't hit and then having all of the conversation be. Even though they've gotten to a good place, but to be, to, but to say that they didn't hit the goal they had set. So see, this is
1: why this more. is literally why I'm so glad you're on the show today because I didn't know if you were going to go there, and you went there in the first block. And Rick, I mean, you know this as a as a chief political strategist and, and someone who really knows about the behind the scenes of messaging. That interview yesterday that uh, President Biden gave uh, it, it was exactly what Emily said. It was let's lower let's lower the expectations, and then we can come in as Superman. Was it not?
3: Yeah, for sure. And this is an administration that has you know, been making a big point of watch all these great things I can do in the first 100 days, except one of them that they want to manage expectations down on is the most important single issue in his presidency is COVID. So I, I, I agree with Emily that um, it's obviously a concerted effort by this administration to try to ratchet expectations down. The, the problem is that, that the news cycle isn't helping them much, right? You've mm-hmm. got, you know, reporting out there that you know, the the COVID's going to be with us, you know, maybe ad infinitum, right, forever. Um, uh, I think it's still bad politics to start calling all of us part of the herd, right? I, they got to come up with a better term than talking about herd immunity. <laughs> um, and, uh, and, and so I think all these things, I mean, like it's, it's starting out a bad week on the COVID scene. Uh, they didn't change the Trump administration's plan on 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 vaccine distribution for basically everybody over 65 and and high-risk populations and, and so now they're living with those consequences where they've run out of vaccine and they can't restore uh, working uh, on on the vaccine process until they actually get more vials into these places. So no matter how many Super Bowl or uh, uh football stadiums Roger Goodell sets up as vaccine sites, they need the vaccine. And that well, is one of the problems.
1: And, and and beyond that, I mean, the the covid strain, I'm I, I'm on the Bloomberg terminal right now and, and they have this great tracking data. Uh, that you can access uh, that where they compile it virtually around the clock. And Jonathan Levin reports on the Bloomberg Terminal that the COVID strain that swept the U.K. is circulating the most in Florida. And Emily just alluded to that, Rick. But to your point precisely, the fast-spreading COVID-19 variant first found in the U.K. is gaining a Florida foothold. And that's prompting concerns about fans who flooded the streets of Tampa on Sunday uh, after, of course, the Bucks, Buccaneers beat uh, the Chiefs um, to, to win the game. But... You know, it's it's fascinating because I was reading in the Wall Street Journal earlier today, uh, Emily, that in terms of where the United States ranks again compared to other European countries, like Spain, for example, the U.S. is actually coming a. a, a, a doing better uh, than than many European countries like Spain um, and Portugal, uh, which didn't have the lockdowns that that the United States had uh, during the holidays and, and over the new year. And there's been debate in, in the mainstream press about whether states were following them and whatnot. But it, the, the United States is not lagging behind uh, other other countries, Emily. And that's got to be a significant win uh, for America.
4: Well, I think it's a significant win for everyone who doesn't end up with a relative in the hospital, you know, doesn't end up with with in their family. Of course, that is hard to measure. But I mean, talk about low bars, like what an unbelievably low bar that we're not the worst in the relief. I think that part of what was hitting so many Americans so early on in the pandemic was how we really thought that. The country was better set up for something like this, and in fact, I believe that we had been re- like ranked countrywide, you know, nationwide. Uh, sorry, worldwide rather as like better set up for a pandemic. And now I think our expectations have become unbelievably low as to how we are faring. So not the worst. Yeah, that's a pretty good. That's a pretty good answer. But you know, I really does feel like it's the the patchwork of different rules and different regulations by state and often by county that has made it really hard to assess exactly where. The country is um, in terms of responding to the pandemic. Um, and so I think for that reason, like, yes, we can see overall what our numbers are, but it's hard to say, like, if we're making progress or not, I think, because the standards in every state are so different for getting a vaccine. I mean, you know, I have friends who just walked in and got one again in Florida, but in New Jersey, like I said, my 75-year-old mother-in-law can't get one. So, you know, it is making it very hard also to see how we're making Countrywide progress.
1: You know, let's go by the numbers. The cases have exceeded 106 million worldwide. Deaths have surpassed 2.3 million. China has pushed back a target, get this, to inoculate 50 million people by almost two months. So even China's pushing it back amidst concerns over supply and hesitancy among the population around the vaccines. Germany is likely to lengthen its lockdowns by two weeks even as cases slow while Indonesia is extending restrictions to focus on specific regions as it continues to battle the worst outbreak in Southeast Asia but get this in New York City Rick Davis in New York City uh, they have resumed indoor dining um, uh, they did they, they, they will resume. New York City indoor dining will resume Friday, uh, two days earlier than planned. So uh, some developments on the New York City front. Coming up, we're going to head to Capitol Hill and, and we're going to talk about the fiscal stimulus negotiations and, of course, that trial. Oh, yeah. Remember that? The impeachment trial uh, that will begin in Ernst tomorrow. But just, uh, you know, some final thoughts here from you, Rick Davis, in terms of where the administration goes and did they successfully lower the bar? Uh, of, of where and, and set expectations for what they have to do uh, for the vaccination front in that CBS interview yesterday?
3: Yeah, look, I think it was a first effort toward it. Uh, but look, I mean, Donald Trump tried to set expectations on COVID. Oh, this stuff will go away in the summertime. That was a year ago. <laughs> uh, it doesn't work. Uh, as long as you have large communities, and there are large communities uh, at risk, uh, people dying because of COVID, uh, we had another congressman pass away today because of COVID. And, and until you get your hands on people passing away and families being offset by job loss, I mean, these things aren't going away easily. And so we all said during the campaign that this was going to be about whether you cared about tackling COVID in earnest or whether you wanted to blow it off and focus only on economic results. And, and the country picked tackle COVID. Uh, I do think Um, uh, we need some truth-telling out of the White House, right? I mean, they want to show, you know, some kind of uh, point in the future where we'll have this thing tackled. Right now, I think they have to have everybody convinced that they have to do their part, you know, and maybe you don't go to dinner on Valentine's Day in New York because you want to do your part, not because the city said it was okay to do it. Maybe you don't go to a Super Bowl party in Miami just because— You know, and I'm
1: gonna save everybody the the grief, Rick Davis. If you're not going to dinner on Valentine's Day, it doesn't mean you don't have to get a Valentine's Day gift. Okay, so you have to you have to weigh your options, these socially distant options. I don't want Rick. I don't want you to be given bad advice out there. You know what I'm saying? I, I I'm looking out for everyone's interest here. Okay, Rick Davis. You're the okay? man. I appreciate that. Panel stays. Emily stays. Rick stays. <laughs> what kind of. I'm Kevin Cirilli. I'm the Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and for Bloomberg Radio. This is Bloomberg.
0: The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at Forum.com. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cerilli on Bloomberg Radio.
1: I'm Kevin Cerilli. Chief Washington correspondent for Bloomberg Television and for Bloomberg Radio. Coming up, we're going to check in with the congresswoman who wants to ban QAnon members. From getting national security clearances, Congresswoman Stephanie Murphy, a Democrat from Florida, she'll join me at the top of the next uh, half hour. But let's first uh, get to the major economic story of the day, and that is, of course, uh, the economic stimulus talks. Here to break down this story, Rick Davis, Emily Tisch-Sussman. And we've got sound on this from Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen. Uh, she spoke to uh, CBS over the weekend and she said that if the U.S. can return to full employment in 2022, if and only if it enacts a robust enough coronavirus stimulus package. She's saying it's stimulus or bust. If there's no stimulus, the economy's not going to come back. Take a listen to what she said.
5: I'm afraid that uh, the job market is stalling. We saw that in Friday's employment report. We're in a deep hole with respect to the job market and a long way to dig out. Now, Jen Psaki
1: was asked about this by reporters at the press briefing in the Brady Briefing Room at the White House earlier today. When I was monitoring it, I was struck again just by how much they are really leaving this process uh, to uh, Speaker Pelosi and Leader Schumer in the Senate. And they are incredibly confident, both publicly and behind the scenes, that ultimately this $1.9 trillion stimulus deal will get passed. Now, Yellen was asked again on CBS about the risk if there is not a stimulus package that is passed. I've got sounds on this. Take a listen. This package
5: is going to really speed recovery, and analysis by Moody's and economists at the Brookings Institution show that very clearly, that we will get people back to work much sooner with this, with this uh, package, and that, that's really critically important. You- There's absolutely no reason why we should um, suffer through a long, slow recovery.
1: Rick, I mean, I spoke with a source who previously worked in uh, former President Trump's budget office today, and I said, it, does it matter if any Republicans get on board? And even the source conceded that uh, because of the math, Democrats definitely have the upper hand here, and people like Senator Romney, while they are floating proposals, are doing so because they want to be uh, potentially named on uh, the reconciliation committees um, to, to try to get some cash for for funded to their states but republicans really don't really have a say here
3: well they have a say as long as you don't have 50 democrats marching the line right i mean there are going to be democrats who object to parts of the package and and so having a couple of republicans in your pocket uh to uh ensure uh that the package gets passed uh, ultimately you know they've got the shell of the 1.9 trillion dollar package already uh moving along and so uh Look, there will be Republicans who agree that a long, slow uh, recovery, much like what occurred during the Barack Obama eight years after the uh, great financial crisis of 08, is not what's in the nation's interest. And so whether they get what they want out of it, uh, like what you mentioned about people like Senator Mitt Romney who want to play on, on, on that field of play, uh, yet to be determined. I do think there's a legitimate interest by the White House to include some of their ideas in the ongoing reconciliation debate. And so we'll see whether or not this can have some pantina of bipartisanship. But you're right, at the end of the day, if they can keep their caucus together, if Schumer can keep the senators in line, he's got 50 and a tiebreaker, that's exactly how this could potentially go down.
1: You know, let me follow up with you, Rick, before we bring in Emily, because you you understand the lay of the land of the GOP right now. I mean, there were many Republicans, for example, in Arizona, suburban Arizona, Maricopa County, who were very uninterested in in seeing uh, a former president Trump get reelected, but are they on board for a $1.9 trillion stimulus bill? And the reason I say that is a lot of Republicans, you know, American for prosperity, for example, when I talk to those folks at AFP, they're very, very wary of, of having uh, this much money spent so quickly after the last chunk of change. That was just a couple months ago.
3: Yeah, it's a it's a leap of faith. Right. Mm. Um, uh, Everyone is like reminded that previous (laughs) covid relief bills had bipartisan support, but none of them were one point nine trillion dollars. And so it's going to require Republicans to really believe that this is what's needed in order to get the economy moving, get people off the unemployment line and get the distribution of these vaccines so that you know we can return to some level of normalcy but i do think the the press is actually helping because the the reports out there on unemployment and the covid situation aren't giving republicans any comfort that going smaller is going to satisfy anybody and then when you see the polls out this weekend where you know 60% plus republican voters forget members of congress but the voters say they like the 1.9 trillion dollar package there are going to be some people over in the Senate scratching their heads wondering you know, whether or not supporting this package isn't the right thing to do for their and own it's constituents. A, that's
1: very spot on because, Emily, it's a different crisis than 2008. But same question to you, but let's flip the script. Let's put it on the Democrats. Are, is the is the left flank of your party, Em, are they going to be able to get on board, 30 seconds for you, are they going to be able to get on board with with a plan that, I'm hearing from one very progressive member they feel is not progressive enough. Well, they have so far. I think
4: if there were going to be really big divisions from the left, they would have started already very hard. Um, And what they're seeing is that staying together as a party and getting big things passed quickly, they're buying into this Biden idea that this is momentum. This is a building block to build off of. And I have to tell you, I kind of believe it. Like, I kind of buy into that. I think that if he can get this done, get it done quickly, start getting checked in people's inboxes, then it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a the lot be The big better. mo.
1: That's what, that's what Rick and Emily call it. Momentum. Got to have it. Especially in Washington. We head to Capitol Hill next with Congresswoman Stephanie Murphy, Democrat of Florida. Don't miss it. I'm Kevin Cirilli. Panel stays. This is Bloomberg.
0: You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg Radio.
1: I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and for Bloomberg Radio. Congresswoman Stephanie Murphy joins us, Democrat from Florida, and I'm going to ask her all about impeachment, uh, trade talks, she's on the trade committee, Uh, U.S.-China relations, and how she's Uh, looking to prevent QAnon members from getting national security clearances. Panels with me ahead of my interview with Congresswoman Stephanie Murphy, Emily Tish sussman as well as Rick Davis. And we got to talk about the impeachment trial because, candidly, I was checking in with my sources earlier today about the stimulus and all everyone's buzzing about on the the virtual, these days it's virtual, political water cooler is the impeachment trial. And how Republicans are going to navigate this. Did you see this in Politico? Donald Trump Jr. told Politico that he's going to head to Liz Cheney's district uh, to drum up support. Remember, Congressman Matt Gaetz did so, uh, and that they are fully preparing to, to primary her, uh, that wing of the Republican Party. So the, the, the fallout from the open—it's really an open— family feud, for lack of a better word, amongst Republicans and the path forward and the vacuum for the Republican Party is going to be on full display. And that's what I truly believe is the main message for the trial, Rick, is how will Republicans navigate this? And and will it be clear after this week for various camps and contingencies and jockeying for 2024? Is this a 2024 vote?
3: Is this a 2024 vote is going to be uh, a critical question as to how the uh, Republican Party now regroups, because as you point out, there's uh, going to be an effort on the part of the Trump family, uh, whatever that organization manifests itself to be, maybe just that, the Trump family, to primary people who have uh, voted for impeachment in the House or voted for impeachment in the Senate or uh, uh, just upset him. Uh, The reality is there's going to be a concerted effort backed by tens of millions of dollars uh, in uh, Donald Trump's uh, PAC to uh, try to elect Trump supporters uh, for, uh, two years from now in the Senate seats that are currently held by incumbent Republicans, which in the old days, my old days, would be a, apostate. Uh, it, you don't primary sitting members of leadership. You don't primary uh, uh, active senators in a state. Uh, the states uh, uh, tend to like they're sitting senators they don't want to throw anything at risk it opens up opportunity for the democrats no question about it not so much in states that are rock rib red but Um, uh, Chaos within the party is only an opportunity for Democrats to pick off senators and House members who otherwise might have a relatively easy midterm election.
1: Look no further than the state of Pennsylvania, where John Fetterman announced the lieutenant governor, Democratic lieutenant governor, formally announced uh, that he is running for Senate in a seat that Pat Toomey is not seeking reelection for. I've got sounds on uh, the impeachment trial from Pat Toomey, Senator Pat Toomey, the Republican of Pennsylvania, who was asked over the weekend by CNN About the impeachment trial and whether or not it's constitutional, because as we've heard on this program from Republicans like Senator Marsha Blackburn, there's this issue of whether or not the trial itself is constitutional Uh, and and legal scholars are are saying that it is. and, And some Republicans are saying they don't like the precedent. But take a listen to what Senator Toomey told CNN over the weekend.
3: You did have, uh, you know, 45 Republican senators vote to suggest that they didn't think it was appropriate to conduct a trial.
2: So you can infer how likely it is that those folks will vote to convict.
1: And he went on to to say specifically how he uh, will vote for uh, during the trial. And and here's sound on that.
3: The best outcome would have been for the president to resign. Obviously, he chose not to do that. My job is going to be to objectively evaluate the very specific article of impeachment that is going to be presented to us. And that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to listen to the arguments on both sides and make the decision that I think is right.
1: How important of an issue is this in a Republican primary, Rick Davis, as you crunch the numbers with the best of them, like Frank Luntz?
3: Well, you know, it depends on who's going to be in the Republican primary vote. You mentioned earlier in the program that part of the group that migrated from Republicans to uh, Joe Biden's uh, election victory were suburban women. If suburban women come back to the GOP, then they can support people like Liz Cheney and ensure that she wins a contested primary. If they stay on the Democratic ballot uh, for some time because they don't like the noise that's coming out of the Trump faction within the GOP, the QAnon supporters, the, the white supremacists that, that gum up the works, especially in some key uh, swing states, then then likelihood is that uh, a lot of these uh, folks uh, on the fringe right may have some success in a primary, especially in the House of Representatives.
1: Emily Tish Sussman, it, it, here's the, the question that I get from Republicans, and both sides Here's some behind the curtain for you both sides tell reporters what to ask the other side they try to they try to suggested questions is what they call them so here's the suggested question that republicans want me to ask democrats which is are do democrats risk putting too much emphasis on the impeachment trial so that it overshadows stimulus talks
4: um i don't think so you know i was actually just thinking about that myself <laughs> <earlier> this <laughs> afternoon and i was wondering that myself um, and and I really don't think so. I really do think they are two very separate things. Um, the impeachment to- the impeachment talks um, are really to be honest. focused just on Trump's conduct on January 6th. Like it's very very closed. Like it's, t- it's that's exactly it's exclusively what it's on. Um, and the the stimulus talks have pieces that are identifiable to every single American, whether it's opening a school, whether it's getting a vaccine, whether it's getting a stimulus check, and it's ongoing. So I actually see them as really quite separate. I think the only overlay is that they are the same senators who will be voting on both of them. Um, But I think the politics around them are different. I think the substance of it is quite different. Um, I think in any other world, Having these two gigantic things at the same time would be impossible for, for us to be able to keep in our brain. But I think that we're coming off of four plus years of Donald Trump and we've suddenly been able to handle multiple gigantic things at the same time. Um, and I think the senators are capable of it, too. So I actually don't think it changes the politics that much. Um, And I will also say that I've I've never asked you to ask anybody anything.
1: Uh, Oh, yeah, that's what she says on the record. And then she'll be like, but on background, (laughs) if you're interviewing a Republican, I suggest this. Emily, thanks so much for... uh, for checking in with me. I know you have to go, but you've been so generous with your time. Rick's going to stay with me. while we interview congressman Stephanie Murphy uh, coming up next. Uh, Emily, uh, my best to the family. Thank you so much for, for stopping by just anecdotally. I was checking in uh, with a source over the weekend down by the Watergate in Georgetown and the cab driver said to me, they still can't get up there. I mean, I was up there last week. You have to still go through a fence in order to get into the Capitol security. There's now 5,000 troops down from 25 to 28,000. But it's still a different Washington than any of us are used to pre-January 6th, even in the midst of the pandemic. I'm Kevin Cirilli. This is Bloomberg.
0: You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg Radio.
1: My name is Kevin Cirilli. I'm the chief Washington correspondent for Bloomberg Television and for Bloomberg Radio, accompanied by none other than Rick Davis, a Bloomberg politics contributor. He, of course, is a partner at Stonecourt Capital. And we're joined now by Congresswoman Stephanie Murphy, a Democrat from Florida. Stephanie, Congresswoman, sorry. I have a lot of questions. Stephanie's just fine, Kevin. (laughs) It is not fine. It is one of the first things I learned at Penn State School of Journalism. You always respect the title. That was a slip of the tongue, and I apologize. Uh, Congresswoman, uh, I want to ask you uh, about the economic stimulus talks, and in particular, uh, just the timeline that you're hearing for when passage might ultimately come to fruition. Well, in my opinion, it can't
2: be soon enough um, because right now in Florida, we have um, quite a bit of spread as well as the COVID variants are here in Florida. And people need to get access to vaccines. Um, We have to uh, address the needs of getting shots in arms and checks in pockets as soon as possible. But what I'm hearing is that this week we will mark up the bills. So that means that the House will make um, adjustments and write the the bills this week within our committees. And then um, the Senate um, will do their markup the week of the 22nd. Um, And then there's got to be some reconciliation of those bills uh, shooting for a final passage sometime in mid-March but let me tell you Kevin that that would be record speed for a budget reconciliation process Mm -hmm. on average it takes five months um, based on what CRS uh, the congressional research um, services say it usually takes about five months it can take as long as a year Um, so this this pace that we are theoretically on um, would be record speed, um, but this is part of the reason why I've been calling for a vaccination um, bill standalone to go ahead. There's no reason why we should wait on a bigger package for um, vaccine money that everybody can agree on that is needed at the state and local level in order to support the 100 million vaccines in 100 days. Why wait 45 days Um, against your 100-day target that President Biden has put out there? Why shouldn't we just get these resources out to our state and local um, governments as soon as possible so that we can get shots in people's arms? So
1: you would be willing, I mean, are are there other members of your caucus who would be willing to do a piecemeal approach? It's not
2: really piecemeal because it's just the vaccine piece that we're pulling off, um, that we're suggesting we pull off because... Um, it's tied directly to President Biden's 100 or 100 million, um, shots in 100 days. Um, it is, it would have broad bipartisan support and it allows that money to flow to states while we negotiate this bigger package that is absolutely needed, but that has a lot of pieces, moving pieces within it and that might take, um, us Weeks, if not months, to get uh, a final negotiation
1: on. I want to head to geopolitics before I bring in Rick to ask you a question. But uh, over the weekend, uh, Secretary of State Tony Blinken uh, said that President Biden would not uh, be removing Iran sanctions uh, in order to bring Iran back to the negotiating table. You are a member of the Armed Services Committee. Uh, previously, you were um, a you served as a national security specialist in the office of the U.S. Secretary of Defense. Um, and, and and you actually were awarded the Secretary of Defense Medal for Exceptional Civil, Civilian Service. Uh, is that the right approach for the Biden administration to take in in, in order to deal with Tehran?
2: Look, um, the situation with Iran has changed significantly since we passed, or since Congress, I wasn't in Congress at that time, since Congress passed the JCPOA. The the situation on the ground um, in Iran, the activities that they have been involved in, all of that has changed significantly, as well as the neighborhood and the relationship that the U.S. has with um, the uh, other countries in the region, as well as Israel's relationship with those other countries in the region, given the Abraham Accords that have been signed. So the situation has changed significantly since the time when they passed the JCPOA. I think it's fair to take a, a good look at what um, what are the facts on the ground today, and how do we achieve the, the goal that we have, which is to prevent Iran from um, further developing its nuclear weapons, as well as preventing them from um, funding terrorist organizations that are sowing chaos in the Middle East. Um, and so I think that the, the administration has the right approach to take a beat, um, evaluate the information at hand, and then build a strategy that works for today.
3: Senator uh, Congresswoman, sorry, I elevated you right away. <laughs> I, I, I wanted to make sure you felt better about this because We're of Kevin really not including messing. your title. Um,
1: <laughs> of course, you had to dig at me. Go ahead. Richard. You know, after
3: after twenty years of working with Senator John McCain, uh, <laughs> I I just wanted to say how incredibly uh, proud and impressed he would be of your life story and what you've accomplished in your short time, and how much he'd be looking forward to your continued success as someone who was picked up in the ocean in six, at six months of. Yeah, age, you uh, know, in, in a raft free floating by the U.S. Navy and is now a sitting congresswoman who is having a significant impact on uh, the Navy budget and all those things that are uh, military by sitting on the Armed Services Committee. So congratulations. I think it's just wonderful. My question really goes back to the COVID relief bill. Um, uh, we have saw uh, uh, some dismantling like what you were referring to uh, with the COVID vaccine uh, being pulled out uh, in the Senate where they pulled out the $15 minimum wage. Uh, uh, today CBO came out with a report where it showed pretty dramatically how, uh, a $15 minimum wage would, uh, decrease poverty, poverty and increase earnings for millions of Americans, uh, especially low wage workers, but it would also significantly increase the deficit and increase unemployment by over a million people. So, uh, Will the House of Representatives take a look at this now in a similar look, like what you've just done with the vaccine ledge and say, hmm, maybe we should be relooking at the at the minimum wage that we've got in our bill?
2: Rick, let me first tell you that I had the honor of meeting up with Senator McCain um, at in Hanoi and had he um gave us a tour of the Hanoi Hilton and really had an opportunity to share um, our our experiences um, and uh, was real honored to have had that opportunity to be with him in Hanoi um, and to thank him for his service. So I appreciate you opening the question that way. Regarding COVID relief, um, look, I you know here in orlando, fifteen the the minimum wage here in Orlando is n- not a living wage for much of my many of my constituents and so um while I support the idea of raising the minimum wage, I think that um, Putting Having it as a part of this broader, already complex negotiation, if it's going to slow down getting COVID relief out the door, then I think there are always other mechanisms by which we can address um, minimum wage and, and move it through the Congress. What we need to be narrowly focused on in this moment is to get relief to people, get shots in arms, checks in pockets, and get a bill that's going to be signed into law as soon as possible so that we can address the COVID Um, crisis that we're in the midst of. We cannot address this pandemic at the pace of politics.
3: Yeah, that's a really good point. I think that uh, politics certainly up until this point in time didn't seem to have much uh, urgency around the COVID, but I think your declaration that let's get shots in the arms and let's get checks in the mail is exactly what the American public are looking for. Um, I was curious too, if you could, uh, uh, you have a new bill out uh, on the Security Clearance Act, which basically uh, gives a heads up to those people, the great Americans who are doing security clearances for uh, people who work in the government to uh, take into consideration uh, people's participation in the January 6th insurrection at the Capitol, if they were involved, and any QAnon supporters. And uh, can you uh, just give us a sense as to what you hope to accomplish with that act?
2: Yeah, so as a former national security specialist, I've been through the security clearance process. And that process Digs into your background, um, your financial records, your, uh, your travel, your associations, all of this information so that these investigators can come to a judgment as to your character and your loyalty to the United States and your judgment. And I think that asking the question as to whether or not you are somebody who believes in conspiracy theories that would lead you to overthrow the government or if that if you had participated in an effort to overthrow the u s government that it looks
1: like it looks like we've lost uh, co- congresswoman uh, uh, Murphy. It looks like we're having some some problems with her line and unfortunately. Uh, we have to leave the conversation there. Uh, her call was dropped, but we'll, we'll be sure to, to follow up uh, with her office. Uh, th- uh, but my thanks to Congresswoman uh, Stephanie Murphy, a Democrat of Florida, and of course to Rick Davis uh, of Stone Court Capital and a Bloomberg Politics contributor. February is Black History Month, and Bloomberg Radio is celebrating pivotal moments in U.S. black history each day. Here with today's installment is Bloomberg's Renita Young.
5: On this day in Black history, Oprah Winfrey becomes the first African-American woman to host a nationally syndicated talk show. It started out as a local show called AM Chicago in 1983. And on February 8, 1986, the Oprah Winfrey show officially launched nationally, eventually becoming the highest rated television program of its kind in history. It aired from Chicago until 2011 and grossed more than $6 billion during its 25-year run. Now, Oprah is well-known as an entrepreneur and philanthropist. She famously gave away a car to every audience member in her show one day, opened the Oprah Winfrey Leadership Academy for Girls in South Africa, and officially joined the Bloomberg Billionaires Index in 2018. She now leads the Oprah Winfrey Network, jointly owned by her Harpo Studios and Discovery. That's Today in Black History. I'm Renita Young, Bloomberg Radio.
1: That was a great, great, great honoring of the legacy of Oprah Winfrey, who has just been a transformational force for good in broadcasting. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg TV and Radio. This is Bloomberg.